Welcome to Inside Games, the only gaming news show brave enough to say that 2022 was the worst year in gaming ever. Yeah, uh, I kind of, I mean, it kind of wasn't though. I mean, how can any year that has Elden Ring be the worst year ever for gaming? But we're also the only gaming news show brave enough to produce a show during the holiday break when all the studios are shut down and there's no news to report on. So uh, we kind of clickbaited ourselves into a corner on this one. Worst year ever. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. All right, uh, Lawrence, but what kind of video game journalist would we be if we didn't wrap reality around a YouTube clickable title? Just like a cozy winter scarf. That's what we do here. Yeah, YouTube clickability notwithstanding, it was a consequential ass year for video games. We gotta put that on the wall or something. So let's go over the biggest stories with the help of our staff reporter with the biggest brain, Charlotte. Uh, thank you, I'm glad to be here. Doc says the swelling has gone down, but sometimes I still get my birds whack words. My, my words, bat burps, my... Speaking of pressure... <laughs> Microsoft is feeling plenty these days. Uh, this is a big story you may have heard if you've watched any one of the videos we've made this year. FTC sues Microsoft over the Activision acquisition. It seems like forever ago, but earlier this year in January, Microsoft announced the biggest acquisition in video game history. I cannot believe that that was this year. Uh, it's planned 69 nice billion dollar purchase would add some marquee franchises, including Call of Duty, Diablo, Overwatch, World of Warcraft, and Candy Crush to its growing roster of studios. But the move hit a snag with skeptical regulators. Just recently, the US Federal Trade Commission announced that it would sue to block the merger, arguing that a Microsoft-owned Activision Blizzard is bad for competition in the gaming industry. The FTC said that the acquisition would enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to its Xbox gaming consoles and its rapidly growing subscription content and cloud gaming business. That is a similar complaint to what Sony has made, especially when it comes to Call of Duty possibly being an Xbox exclusive. We also know that regulators in the UK and Europe are taking a hard look at the deal too. So as we enter 2023, this merger is anything but a sure thing. So do we think it'll close? Is 23 the year for X Division Blizzk surge? <laughs> no. I actually don't think it'll close. I think it'll close eventually, but I don't think it'll close in 2023. Uh. Uh, I think that there are, there are just too many people, organizations, governments, countries against it right now. Um, I think eventually they could probably push it through. And I think Charlotte's uh, initial prediction from a few weeks ago about splitting the company up, I think is probably the better compromise there that will probably happen. That's that's my theory. If, if money can find a way, I think it'll happen, and money usually does, and Microsoft seems willing to pay a ton. Uh, they're making all kinds of wacky promises, Call of Duty on Switch, 10-year deals for Sony. They're, they're trying to shoot down every argument any regulatory agency would have about it. So I think they'll win eventually, and they seem to be willing to cut the giant checks to make it happen as soon as possible. So I could see them reaching a deal with the FTC to settle this lawsuit in, like, late January? It's probably going to involve some kind of payout or some kind of long-reaching sworn agreement that Microsoft will wiggle out of at some point, but I, I don't know. Uh, Microsoft seems willing to do everything to make this happen, which any other company on the planet, I would say it would probably hit, hit rocks at some point, but it seems like it's going to, seems like they're going to push it through. I would, that's my prediction. I would be more surprised to see it drag out past the end of 23, personally, uh, I feel like. But also, like, once you start getting, like, lawsuits involved, uh, those can those legal proceedings can just drag out forever. So, like, if it does happen, I would think maybe late towards the back half of it. But I just don't know. I'm going to be watching Inside Games, though, to find out. <laughs> hey, 
Speaking of inside games, did you know that the new Pokemon games suck? <laughs> yeah, sy- synonymous. <laughs> yeah, that's we. You know, that's what we do. Uh, moving along, we also got some new mainline Pokemon games: Pokemon Scarlet and Violet for the Switch. Uh, you know, hey, a lot of people are really excited about it. I've seen a lot of people be, uh, playing it recently, but the latest installments suffered from a variety of technical and performance issues that led to the games getting the worst review scores of any mainline Pokemon game ever. Uh, last time we checked, they were each sitting at a paltry 72 on Metacritic. Uh, it hasn't hurt sales, though. The game sold 10 million units in the first three days, which is a record. Uh, but it has given new life to fan complaints that the series is in dire need of fixing. Let me tell you, uh, I promise you the developer does not think it's in dire need of fixing it since it just broke sales records. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the question is to the audience and to Lawrence and Charlotte, why is Pokemon still selling so well? I just don't get how it's immune from everything. To me, Pokemon is fascinating because it's a sign that the standards that sort of people inside of enthusiast gaming swear that you have to hit to have a commercially successful product aren't real. Uh, I mean, FIFA kind of proves that some other sports games do, but Pokemon is supposed to be a gamer game, I guess. And it just doesn't matter to a certain point as long as they're cute enough, I guess, and you have that sort of franchise loyalty. So I'm kind of okay with it. I would rather we have more games that are maybe a little busted and rickety than fewer games that are all 150 hour perfectly polished defend nobody type of things. So I like how dramatic it is, but I can only do that because I don't care about Pokemon and I haven't played one in like 10 years. So I like seeing it happen as long as it, as long as it happens over there. I also haven't played Pokemon in over a decade. And I guess, I mean, like it seems like they'd really have to screw the pooch to like chase off the main Pokemon fan base. Like, and they know that clearly. They just fixed what they had to for the game to run without breaking. Like, it's still, like, buggy, apparently. Uh, For me, personally, I'm someone who, like, has been waiting for a Pokemon game to jump back into and, like, actually, like, enjoy and play it because I like the ones I played years ago. But, like, hearing literally just all the negative things about this one in, like, already such a crowded field and backlog, I'm like, uh, why would I take the stab? And and Nintendo games that don't go down in price, too. So, (laughs) I don't know. As I think casual... Uh, fans of the franchise may have a harder sell than the diehards. Hey guys, I have a one sentence piece of advice for you. If you don't like the game, please don't buy it. They'll stop making it if you don't buy it. Okay, and order placed. Well, never mind. Charlotte, Charlotte order. Okay, all right. Yeah, speaking of buying, Valve gave us a new toy this year. The Steam Deck came out. This is kind of on the brighter side of things. Something that didn't make this year suck. 2022 saw the release of a powerful new handheld, and we're not talking about the Switch Pro. We're talking about the Steam Deck. Yes, Valve's beefy handheld system that brings much of your Steam library to your very fingertips. We don't know how many Steam Decks Valve has sold, though. I mean, it's been at the top of the chart, but that's by revenue. Anyway. Considering that it's a private company, Valve is, uh, we don't have any numbers, but the reviews have been mostly positive. It's not quite as smooth an experience as the Switch, but in terms of power, it certainly blows Nintendo's handheld away. And it proves that even in the age of smartphones, a lot of gamers still want that dedicated gaming device. I need those buttons and sticks. That's what it's all about. Lately, Valve officials have even hinted at an upgraded version with improved battery life and a better screen. So uh, it's been out in the wild. It's been patched a little bit. You guys have any experience with the Steam Deck, and if so, what do you think? I haven't used it. I haven't touched it, but I do think more uh, ways to game are cool, and I appreciate something that's not just wholesale leaning into the magical future of cloud gaming. 
because uh, some people don't have that kind of connectivity. So it's nice to see the power locally available. Again, though, I haven't played on it. I've only used it a very, very little bit. And I'm actually really surprised because a lot of people seemed really skeptical about it. And then when it came out, everybody's just raving. Uh, I know Lawrence has one. And Lawrence, you love it, right? Yeah, it's become it's become my buddy. Uh, it's a bit slow, but it's, it's multifunctional. You know, I've taken it traveling. I've done work on it. Uh, I have it hooked up in my like garage gym and that's what I use to play games and stuff with a little Bluetooth controller while I'm on a treadmill. So it's been, it's been really cool. Um, and I think just as a, I think as a cheap point of entry to PC gaming, I'm glad that it exists because it is kind of an all in one package. You don't have to worry about like getting all the peripherals, the monitor. It's just the thing and a little thing to charge it. And then you're off to the magical world of PC gaming. So yeah, I'm pretty happy about it. I hope, I hope that it's finding a lot of good homes and maybe opening people up to the wonders and headaches of PC games. How much are those? Uh, they're like six, well, I think the cheapest one's 400, I wanna say. 450, I thought, yeah. There you go, put that on your Christmas list. Yeah, yeah, I have a last minute <laughs> entry. Uh, this year did, however, see the demise of a streaming service that, well, not to be callous, but we saw coming. Google announced that Stadia was shutting down after less than three years. So let's give it a three second moment of silence. No, I don't want to. Okay. You may remember that. <laughs> that's fair, valid. Uh, you may remember that Stadia was revealed in 2019 with a lot of fanfare, but Google promised all sorts of features that never really materialized. The underlying tech was impressive, and it was cool being able to stream games online if you had a good connection, but Stadia never provided the kind of library that competitors like Microsoft's xCloud boasted. And Stadia could never answer the obvious question, uh, who was it for? It never gained a large audience, and then finally Google announced that Stadia was joining its graveyard of abandoned projects like Google Wave, Google Plus, Google Glass, etc. The list goes on and on, and Stadia will close for good next month, uh, taking a couple original titles with it, unless they've been able to find lifeboats since we originally covered that. I don't know. What, what do you guys think about Stadia, uh, the, the quibby of gaming? Well, I don't know. I mean, like, cloud gaming, it seems like Xbox, again, Microsoft being one of the largest companies in the world, is able to fund the whole cloud gaming thing and they're doing it on your phone. Obviously, I know Stadia did that too, but Google for some somehow just couldn't compete with Xbox. Maybe it's because Xbox has been gaming a little longer than Google. And even then, I don't know many people that use xCloud now. So if xCloud, the leading cloud provider of games, is not doing huge, then Stadia is definitely not. So, eh, you know, another one bites the dust. <laughs> I was confused by the same thing, Bruce. How how they looked at the market and saw the performance of existing products, and then they thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna introduce something that's basically the same or not as good, and hope it just works, which it didn't. I there were there was not a feature to Stadia that made it better than the existing ecosystem that people already have invested a lot into, in terms of their like game libraries and things like that. You had to start a new membership and then buy games a la carte on top of that. And I guess the trade-off was you get the freedom of playing in the cloud, but you have that already with Xbox and people don't even really wholly use that a, a ton right now. It's all future-proofing. It's just odd to me that Stadia was expecting returns already, even though cloud gaming isn't that isn't the staple of the market yet. I thought they were doing that to own cloud gaming 10 years from now. It's just weird that they lost patience before that happened. So I, I, I just don't understand what the game plan was and I don't understand what their like value proposition was to anyone. May just be as simple as hubris being one of the largest companies in the world, being like, 
what could happen? What could go wrong? We can do this. <laughs> and then they went, oh, wait, we spent $5 billion. We lost it. <laughs> I mean, just look at how Google's approached uh, smartwatches and tablets. Just dud after dud after dud. It's amazing mm-hmm. the Pixel has found any success. Barely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Carved out like a little bit of a niche. Like, I, I just, oh, Google. <laughs> You'll get there. Hey, speaking of uh, a really, really sad thing. $70 video games are here to stay, everybody. Uh, this year, hit a new milestone that nobody wanted to see. $70 video games. Granted, we've seen lots of franchises like NBA 2K start to edge up to the big 7-0, but... <sighs> Microsoft made it official. They announced that starting next year, they'll raise prices on all their first-party games to $70. Uh, Microsoft spokesperson told IGN the price, quote, reflects the content, scale, and technical complexity of these titles. <laughs> all right, sure. Uh, they're not the first... We've seen Sony, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive all price some new games at 70 bucks, but Microsoft is quickly becoming the 800-pound gorilla of video games, and when they announce a price hike, lots of others are going to follow. So, my question to Charlotte Lawrence in the audience, has this stopped you from buying video games, Lawrence? No. Uh, I mean... It's not stopped anybody. <laughs> I, I remember the first one was Returnal. I got to the checkout screen and I was like, holy shit! Because, I mean, it was like... I like Housemark a lot, but... It wasn't, it didn't present itself like a ultra premium quadruple A game. And, you know, I like roguelikes, but you don't expect to pay full market price for a roguelike. Now, I don't regret it. Returnal is amazing, and I'm going to buy it again on PC. But uh, I remember that's the first one where I just like, like a little shiver ran down my spine, and I, I hesitated at the checkout. But no worry no longer. I no longer feel any compunction. Um, so it's it's just kind of the new default price in my brain. God herself couldn't stop me from buying video games, Bruce. But uh, the $70 price tag has... It, I mean, like, I, like, I bought God of War, I think, most recently for that cost. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to do that. But it has given me pause on, like, other games that I'm not, like, totally all in on. Where I was, like, used to $60 enough that I would be like, oh, yeah, let me pick up... Uh, for Forbidden West, but now I'm more likely to be like, I'm just gonna wait two or three months until it's forty dollars, like, or even fifty now. So I, I guess it has kind of changed my my purchasing habits, but not for like the big titles that I'm that I still want. Yeah, not for, not for the big ones. That makes sense. Yeah, no, not the must plays for me. And here's a game that's definitely worth seventy, even though I think it was sixty. Elden Ring. It's sixty. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Elden Ring, that rarest of creatures, a much-typed game that actually lived up to the hype. Uh, It's weird to say that, but very cool. Uh, The Open World Souls game released this year and was instantly a smash hit with great reviews and selling more than 17.5 million copies. That truly does put From Software just on a completely other level. Yeah, while some of the while some Dark Souls-esque games have been popular for a while now, Elden Ring really helped vault the genre into the mainstream. Got a gigantic open world, cool dark fantasy story, kind of maybe sort of written by George R. R. Martin in there somewhere, and just brutally difficult gameplay. And everyone loved it! It won a dump truck full of awards, including Game of the Year honors at the Game Awards, the Golden Joystick Awards, and the Japan Game Awards. 2022 had some other bangers, of course, like God of War Ragnarok, Immortality, and Tunic, but Elden Ring just in a league of its own. So I don't know. To both to all of us, what's your favorite memory from Elden Ring this year? I think my favorite memory is just finally, finally getting into a Souls like. Cause like I played a lot of Bloodborne, I played a decent amount of Sekiro and some Dark Souls 3, and I hit walls in all of them where I was like, this is not fun for me. But Elden Ring, I probably put in like 25 or 30 hours and like 
it's awesome. It it rocks. It's still not like fully for me, but I want to play more. I want to get there. Man, I feel exactly the same way, Charlotte. Like to a T. That's exactly how I feel about Elden Ring. However, I played 150 hours of the game, and I am an Elden Lord. Uh, but the relief that I felt when I became an Elden Lord and beat the final boss, uh, everyone was like, "Doesn't it feel satisfying?" And I was like, "No, this is only relief." I, have, I am only relieved that I have beaten the boss and can say I finally beat a Souls game. Um, and it's interesting because the game is really, really fun, but also incredibly punishing. It, it is. Yeah, it's just the thought of going back to it and playing it again just makes my skin crawl. I don't want to be anywhere near it. So uh, it's a great video game, but I don't want to touch it. I think I think my favorite Elden Ring memory is when we did Drunk Elden Ring and we couldn't get past the first boss. <laughs> We were so confident. We'd all played it and we're like, first bot, who cares? Margaret, get out of here. And somehow it was just the hardest thing in the world after like four shots. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Here's a game that may still come out, apparently, because it's been announced after almost 10 years of waiting for a new GTA. Rockstar actually made it official. They are working on GTA 6. Well, to be specific, they said that active development for the next entry in the Grand Theft Auto series is well underway. There have been lots of leaks over the years about the gameplay and plot of the next game, like that it'll return to a Vice City type setting and have a Bonnie and Clyde type protagonist duo. But Rockstar hasn't given any details yet. Reportedly, the game has been in development for a while now, but it's still a ways off. Most experts say we'll be waiting at least until 2024 or 2025 for the game to arrive. Lawrence, what do you want to see from GTA 6? I love it when anyone mocks the fuck out of the United States. We are such a, no a mockable culture and, and the jokes land pretty well. It doesn't happen too often either because we're usually the ones making all the media. So even when we make fun of ourselves, it just doesn't have that bite. So I love Rockstar's take of the United States and seeing it reflected through Grand Theft Auto games. And the thing that just makes my brain boil is how they're going to satirize the current or the past state, past uh, state of the United States. It's already, it's like, it's too much of a joke. I don't know how you make a joke of it unless you suddenly go serious, which may be what GTA 6 does, but yeah, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what their approach is because I think they've got some of the best like writers and creative directors uh, based on Red Dead 2. So gosh, to see them take on satirizing American culture now, that's like trying to create the atomic bomb or something. That's a that's a great work, and I can't wait to see what it is or if it is. And last but not least, we have to give a special shout out to Diablo Immortal, the free-to-play installment of the Venerable franchise launched in 2022 and almost immediately attracted a torrent of criticism. Uh, despite Blizzard officials saying the game wouldn't be paid to win, in reality... That was a good one, Bruce. It kind of was. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, especially in in-game PvP where it would cost several hundred thousand dollars to fully level up your character. Uh, critics and fans both hated it, and Blizzard swore that the next mainline Diablo Diablo 4 wouldn't be as predatory. And as we all know, you can take Blizzard's word to the bank. That's right. I can always trust Blizzard with everything. Uh, so, Lawrence and Charlotte, what lesson did Diablo Immortal teach us? It's time that we all accept that, that like, what, what the, the gamer core thinks just doesn't apply to the mass market. And they're two different things. So... People that play a lot of games can be offended by the monetization strategies in an app, but it's not even made for them. It's targeting a bunch of other saps. Uh, I don't know if that like, I don't know what happens from there. You either you either take on a holy crusade of fighting this thing that you think is a detriment to games as a whole, or I don't know, just uh, find greener pastures. That's that's my 2022 hope is that 
we hopefully we've seen enough, enough examples that focusing on the things that just make you angry just make you angry. <laughs> you could go play an indie game instead. I'll just echo Lawrence's sentiment here. This is something I say all the time in inside games everywhere. Guys, video games are optional. <laughs> we don't have to play them. So, if Diablo Immortal makes you upset, if a free-to-play game makes you upset, just don't play it. Create a Twitter account to harass the devs. Got it. I know we said, last but not least, before. That's technically true, but there's one more small news story that we'd like to mention. Well... Yeah, it's not meaningful news so much as a conclusion of a narrative for us here at Inside Games. It provides an opportunity to reflect on what we're doing here. So Bruce and I first started this gaming news show again back in early 2021 because we were both really frustrated with the discussion around Cyberpunk 2077. Now, corporations don't need us to stick up for them or anything. That's not really the point, and that's not why we're doing gaming news. But uh, our intent is more to report on the reality of games and their production rather than to lean into whatever narrative generates clicks or, or confirms audience biases and things like that. That's why we lean so hard on financial results and direct quotes, investor meetings, and of course, the always trustworthy clown math in our reporting. Uh, but going back to 2022 in review, it was a real turnaround year for Cyberpunk. It's sitting on largely positive reviews, 20 million sales, 1 million active players. It's all been fueled by a wave of positive sentiment from their Netflix anime Edge Runners. This flippin' sentiment is, is notable, I think, as a news story. Uh, it shows even bad releases can turn around with investment. It shows media projects can lift uh, other brands. Arcane and Arcane kind of did that for League of Legends. So uh, to bring it back to this channel, though, uh, we're all thinking it, right? So I'll just say it. You know, we were right <laughs> inside games. It's the only gaming news show brave enough to be right all the time about everything. Yes. Wow. I, okay, I, I didn't expect that. I did not expect... Charlotte, I, I don't think... You weren't here when we started this. Do you think that we are right? You gotta say yes. Sure. Okay, sure. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take the sure. Okay. Well, earned smugness aside, I, I at least take this as validation that our approach to games coverage is... Eh, it's more attuned to accuracy and real reporting than clickable drama or politically safe dunks. Uh, you know, apologies for the YouTube clickbait, though. We, we can't get around that. That's just gonna be a thing. But we didn't do it alone. You know, this is not just about us being right about everything. We also launched a Patreon this year, and your direct support has empowered us to scale up production and add writers, editors, and hosts. So that's awesome, and I'm very grateful for that. Very cool to reflect on, because that happened this year. So uh, whether you're a patron, a loyal viewer, or we just clickbaited you into watching this far, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to continue doing this in 2023, because we just love it so much. I will also say, also say thank you very, very much for watching. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, thank you so, so much. And that's right. Uh, we were right about Cyberpunk eventually. Eventually. Charlie, you want to you say anything, Charlie? Uh, yeah, I guess thanks for having me, guys. This is super cool. I'm uh, glad we get to do this. And I say to the fans, also, you're welcome. <laughs> hey, on that note, <laughs> we have a few patrons to thank specifically. Uh, Kyle Abbott, Brown Sugar, Arala Regulus, Aaron Fraze, and Spirit Bear. Well, don't hog all the patrons there, Bruce. Let me get a few in, too. Mason Hoover, Jared Watkins, Maurice Thompson, Docs360, UESC Battleroid, and Jambers87. Thank you very much. 